Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Kelly Cardenas podcast. On this episode, you'll realize that there are no commercials at all. I just could not interrupt this absolute genius. Manny Ahomi, which is the founder of SamaritansFeet.com, is living out his passion, living out his purpose, and he's doing it all over the world. His mission is to put shoes on over 10 million people across the world, and he's already done 8 million. Sounds like he's going to need a new goal. Enjoy the episode and share it with everyone you know. Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, where attitude is everything on this show. You're going to have to watch this because this man came on and his heart is like bursting through the video. Uh, his smile is so infectious. Um, he is truly, I believe, one of the greatest leaders in this world because all he wants to be called is a servant. Uh, this man has SamaritansFeet.com. I tried to pronounce his name all official, all the things, but he told me that it is very simply Manny a homie. So please welcome him to the show. Thanks, Kelly, man. Appreciate you having me, man. What a phenomenal privilege this is. Well, it's incredible. I want to dive right in, man. I mean, uh, uh, was it been over 30 years ago? Um, you know, you got a pair of shoes that changed your life. Tell me about that uh, scenario. You know, Kelly, I, you know, like you can tell from my accent, I'm the I'm not from Tennessee, no, North Carolina. I'm from Lagos, Nigeria, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know, I, I used to wake up every morning and pray this prayer. I used to say, God, give me zero, zero, one. Yeah. I mean, it's okay for them to have breakfast. It's okay for them to have lunch, but God, give me supper so I can make up for the next day. I know, I know you're looking at me right now and say, there's not a chance. His brother's missed a meal in his life, you know what I'm saying? You know, but, but, but the reality of my world was so different um, that, that, uh, that growing up at home, um, you know, my job, um, you know, I had a job at the age of nine. I tell my kids right now, I have four amazing kids. How blessed they really are. But at a young age, I used to have to be a street merchant to go help my mom sell water and salt. And, and one day uh, I had to show up at a park in Lagos, Nigeria, where I typically go to, to be the street merchant and I went there to sell soft drinks and water. And, and in, in my little village, in my little town, my little city in Nigeria, see, everything is round and bounce. We kick them. This one, they call this one basketball. It's orange. And, and, and they had all these little African kid, man, teaching how to dribble the ball and pass the ball and shoot the ball. They were having a ball. I, sh- I showed up on the scene and, and just the name and all the excitement, and I'm going to join them. But because I was a street kid and a merchant, they shooed me away. They didn't want me to be a part. So I was watching as all these kids were having fun, but I feel like, man, I need to be a part of what's going on. And uh, But I knew I what didn't belong. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure... Um, you know, there, there's some folks that you and I know that they, just because of their zip code, their background, they walk into certain rooms, they just feel like, man, I just don't feel like I belong. But but I realized that day, I didn't realize at that time that I was about to have a day with destiny. And all of a sudden, I saw one of the balls kind of roll around right behind the tree, and I ran after it, and I grabbed it. And I quickly came in and just snuck in and joined. I felt like I was part of them, but even though I knew I wasn't part, I stuck out, started dribbling and passing the ball and shooting the ball with them. And then this brother from Wisconsin, Dave become Dave from Wisconsin. He said, we're going to have a shooting competition. He said, that's for the winner. It's going to be in your tennis shoes. This win nuts. 
Because when you grew up in a place like I grew up in where your parents live on less than a dollar a day, pair of tennis shoes like a Mercedes Benz. So when they said, they're going to give somebody a pair of tennis shoes, every child there was screaming with, pick me, pick me, pick me. I was one of the few that got picked that day. Never played basketball in my life, but the first shot I took, plenty. I ended up winning the competition. Becoming the first person that just in my family, my, my entire community, to own a pair of tennis shoes. Changed my life. And this gentleman called me to the front, and he presented me these shoes and this smile. That's why I haven't stopped smiling ever since that amazing day. And, and he looked at me and said, son, just because all you see around you is poverty doesn't mean the God of the universe has forgotten about you. He said, son, keep dreaming. And keep dreaming, bad. He told me that I did the sky was green out of blue. After I finished speaking, I took off. I ran so fast, I forgot my basket of water. I remember showing up at home. My mom looked at me and says, son, where's my water? I said, mama, check out my shoes. Mama was so happy for me. And a couple minutes later, he says, son, you better go bring my water back. Or else tonight you're about to meet Jesus. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I ran all the way back there with such fear and interpretation. But thank goodness my, my, my merchant, my product was there. I came back home and, and just green into the front. I mean, just, I, 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 I was so excited, Kelly. I didn't even wear the shoes. I put them on my neck because I didn't want to get them dirty. And I still remember my home life was very difficult because, uh, um, you know, in any conversation I've had, many of us, uh, we know we've we ran into or we know we're part of a family where you know someone that has a addictive personality. And my father was one of those. Uh, he struggled with a lot of alcohol. He struggled with a lot of different things. And um, that was something that he, he just had. And when he, when, when he had a little too much to drink and, uh, and just, just being himself, uh, I was the one that he took it um, and, um, you know, he said some mean and evil things to me. And, and, and I still remember he'll, he'll curse at me and just say all these vile things. And, and my mom will come behind him and she'll put her hands on my head. And she always said, in the name of Jesus, whatever this mean and evil thing this man says to my son, will never come to pass. Because my dad has promised me that my son can do all things. I trust him and give him strength. And, and she'll do this time and time again. And just come be my encouragement. And sometimes I go to my mom, I say, Mom, why do we have to live so poor? Why do we have to live like this? And she'd take about this little window by my house, Kelly, and, and she'd say, Manny, he may calls me Emmanuel, say, I want you to look outside. And she said, What do you see? I look outside, I say, Mom, I see trees. She said, Sonny, I'm looking high enough. Why don't you look outside? Tell me what you see. And I look higher, I said, Mom, I see the birds. I said, Sonny, I'm looking high enough. Why don't you look much higher and tell me, what do you see? And I said, Mom, I see the clouds. And she says, Mom, son, you ever wonder why God created the sky so high? And I said, I don't know, Mom. And she says, so poor boys like you can dream real high. It's a never make excuse for it. He said, just because it may be a crappy, it doesn't mean tomorrow ain't going to be a great day. As long as my dad is going to trust his son, you can do all things. Let nobody convince you of anything different. And I said, I believe in what she said. Basketball became my excuse to play basketball. I said, I'm bigger and taller. Uh, I felt like I, I had some skills, but I wasn't as tall. I, I'm only about six foot four. Uh, most of the Nigerian guys I was playing with were very tall. You know, people like Akim Olajuwon was seven foot and we were real tall. Uh, so as I was getting ready to become a senior in high school, I went to my coach. I said, Coach, I feel like I have the talent and my dream and desires one day to be able to go to America. And he laughed at me. He looked at me and said, son, you have some, you're bold. You got some, you got some balls on you. I mean, you're not tall enough, you're not quick enough, you're not good enough. Are you asking me you want to go to America? And I said, coach, I just feel like, I feel like I, I'm supposed to be there. 
And, uh, and he said, man, I got to give this to you. Um, I respect the fact that you came to me, but I just don't think uh, anything is going to come out of this. But because you were this bold, I'll do this for you. I'll give you some names of some coaches because here, here's the coach that was the coach of Matthew Malajra when he was in Nigeria. He had a lot of connections to come from America and different basketball players. So he gave me some names of schools. And uh, so he said, you write him letters. And if, uh, if you have any interest, uh, I'll promise you this because you were this bold came to me. I'll write your letter of recommendation if you get anybody responsive, which I doubt anybody's going to respond to you. Okay, coach, that's all I need. I just need a chance. And I uh, wrote letters, uh, sent all the stuff all across the United States. I ended up getting such interest from five different schools. Uh, I didn't know much about America. I've, I've heard about New York, I've heard about Los Angeles, and I've heard about Houston, Texas. So I said, well, I'll pick the school with the best-looking brochure. <laughs> I laid this stuff on my table, and uh, I saw this beautiful Corvette. And uh, it got me so captivated, Kelly, that actually, actually after I got there, I bought to buy one, I bought me a Corvette, because that was the first, you know, sinker they got me. And, um, you know, it was a blue and white, beautiful, this blonde hair, gorgeous-looking girls, and these guys were like, I said, man, I'm going to that school. Guess what school that was, Kelly? It was the University of North Dakota in Lake <laughs> I remember showing up in North Dakota. I said, I've done something wrong to God. What is an African person doing here in North Dakota? I don't belong in North Dakota. I was like, oh, my gosh. And But I, I truly believe it was probably one of the best decisions in the world. You know, so so I, I ended up coming. I got my visa. I, you know, my parents couldn't afford it. Uh, the plane ticket was $700. That could have been $7 million in my household. Um, my mom sold everything she had. My dad didn't want no part to be with. We borrowed money. We did everything. Uh, we couldn't raise $700. Uh, it was so crazy. Um, you know, we, and then man, in those days when you used to come play basketball in the United States, you've got to be able to raise enough money to provide your, 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 your insurance and different types of things. So I had to come up with another $300 in, in traveler's checks that we didn't kind of afford 700 I'm talking about $300. So miraculously, we were, we got this stuff in early spring so March came, April came, you know, May came, June came, July came, August came, September came. The school thought I wasn't coming because we didn't have a way to get there. Miraculous is sometime at the end of September, at midway, mom was able to raise enough money to buy a ticket. So we only buy a one-way ticket. So the bought ticket on Alitalia, flew me to Rome. It's so funny, Kelly, you get a kick out of this. So I'm on a plane from Lagos. First time I ever this African boy ever been on a plane. They were, they were passing all this food around. So I thought I was going to have to pay for this. But so I ain't touching that, man. I got to make sure this food, this money's got to last me for two years. <laughs> so everybody's eating, having fun. And I'm sitting in my spot. I, I, I ain't asking for no food. The lady was saying, you want to eat? No, 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 I'm fine. No, I just thought I wasn't hungry. But I thought I was going to have to pay for that food. So I didn't pay for it. So this stuff was going on. Finally flew me to Chicago, Illinois. I landed at O'Hare Airport. But I've got to my destination. So I went to the lady that was Northwest Airline was still in business. I went to that lady. I said, hey, I'm going to this address. She says, son, you're in the wrong city. He said, you got another plane you got to take. I said, another plane? I've been traveling for two days. He said, she said, no, son, you got to buy a ticket. I said, how much is ticket? He said, 180 some dollars. I just about died. Because I had a traveler's check for $300 and 180 some dollars is more than my parents making a year. I can't spend $180. I mean, that's, I thought this $300 was going to last me after I paid for my insurance for two years. The lady laughed. I said, where are you from, son? I said, I'm from Africa. <laughs> it's like coming to America, man. It was like the funniest thing. And uh, so she said, she said, you better buy this. She said, you have another option. I said, what is that? She said, you can take Greyhound. 
but said, I don't put my enemy on that bus. I said, oh, I ain't taking that. Whatever it is, I don't want no part of that. And uh, she said, you got a couple minutes, you got a ticket. I said, Mr. Flash, I end up paying for it. I flew all the way together from Chicago to Grand Forks, North Dakota. My stomach was, I just spent 180 some dollars. I finally landed in Grand Forks. I went to the attendant uh, there after I landed. <laughs> I said, I'm going to this address. It says 90 more miles. I said, how big is this country, man? I've been traveling forever. He said, I said, how do I get there? He said, you got to take Greyhound. I said, not a chance. This lady in Chicago told me about that Greyhound boss, man. I said, don't take them. He said, man, that's the only chance you got. You got to take it. So, so I called my coach. He wasn't he wasn't there. I called. I called. Nobody's there. I learned my first lesson in America, Kelly. Call ahead. That was my first lesson. I didn't call. I just showed up. <laughs> so, so I'm there. I ended up sleeping overnight at the airport that night. The next morning, I went to the guy. I said, that's where the bus depot is. Better buy a ticket. So I went and bought it. A 90-mile journey, Kelly, ended up taking about five and a half hours. I've never seen buses. Because they're stopping every poor downtown from Grand Forks all the way to that town in Devil's Lake, North Dakota. So we finally got there. And you got to realize, early winter in that first part of October set in. I had this linen shirt, <laughs> this linen pants. <laughs> I had two bags that were empty, Kelly. <laughs> They're like I had some stuff. I had nothing in them bags. I'm walking and I'm freezing. I'm shaking. And this amazing couple driving this little orange little mini car pulled right next to me. And they looked at me. I said, are you Emmanuel? And that freaked me out. I said, who are you? He said, are you Emmanuel from Africa? I said, well, that's my name, but who are you? He said, well, they wrote an article about you in May that you were coming, and we knew, we heard nothing about you anymore. We, you look like the only African guy working on this stretch. <laughs> You're in North Dakota. We kind of picked you out. <laughs> you know, so, so we started. He said, you want to ride? So absolutely, I'll take a ride. So they told me to get in the car. They drove me to my campus. Nobody was there. She said, you want to come home with me? I said, absolutely, I'm hungry. I haven't eaten in two days. And uh, so I went home with him. <laughs> Can you get a kick out of this? It was like Thanksgiving. I'm serious. I've never seen food like that in my life. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, this is a feast. They had mashed potatoes, gravy, stuffing, and all this stuff. I didn't know how to eat this sucker. I didn't know what is all this crap. I'm, I'm used to like, you know, you know, pounded yam and a whole bunch of stuff from Africa. I'm like, what's all this stuff? So I'm looking at that. I saw a bun. I said, I know that. I look like bread. I can, I can, I can, I can handle that. So, so they have three little boys. You know, Brett, Kellen, and Marco, and Mr. Larry and Sheila. And they're sitting at the table. They said grace. And I'm looking at this food. I'm looking at them. And I didn't want to look like I was stupid. So I grabbed the bun. <laughs> You're going to love this. I cut the bun open. I fill it up with stuff. And I started eating like a sandwich. <laughs> a four-year-old boy looked at me. He turned to his mom and said, Mom, this guy's weird. He's eating stuffing like a sandwich. <laughs> I looked at him. I said, I don't know. I ate just about ate all their food. I finished eating. I was so tired. Uh, you know, like uh, they said, well, we're going to run to go see some of our relatives. I said, do you want to just relax? I relaxed. I fell asleep. I woke up. They were gone. I freaked me. I said, in Africa, people just don't let you in their house like this. Because I woke up and left me in the house in North Dakota. North Dakota people are very trusted. So finally came back. They took me back to the campus. And uh, I'm there on the campus. And and um, the coach couldn't get this. He got the AD to come meet with me. They got me quickly set up with a I mean, they didn't know I was coming, literally. I mean, so they quickly set up a room for me. And uh, uh, that night came, there was snow outside. I said, there's not a chance I'm staying in this room. I'm not seeing that wife. Because every time I see my name would buckle, I was shaking. I said, you got to change my room. I went to the resident director. I said, 
I walked through the hallway that is a little storage area in the middle of this place, like a little boiler room. I want it. He said, what do you mean you want it? He said, I want you to make that my bedroom. He said, why? He said, it's, it's hot, just like Africa. I like it down way. He said, no, no, no. We're not going to do that. I said, no, that's what I want. Trust me. So they called ahead to the president and said, this is what he wants. So they moved all that stuff out and put bed in there. Kelly was so crazy. My first time in my life, I've been slept in bed. I laid in that bed. I said, I've never felt anything this good. I said, I've died, gone back to heaven, man. This is America. I don't want to ever live. <laughs> I woke up and uh, my coach came and visited me. It's a true story. He walked into my room. He ran back out. He said, man, this is too hot. I said, just let me learn, just like Africa. It's 84, 85 degrees in there. I can just get used to this the way it is. He said, man, you're going to kill yourself, son. It was unbelievable. So I started leaving. I started adjusting. I stayed at that school for about two years. And then I transferred to this school in Minnesota called Concordia because my vision, uh, Kelly, was to one day go around the UN food program. I knew what it was like to be hungry. I said, I want to go get an international relations and, and then an international business degree because I, I truly believe one day I'm going to run the UN food program. I finished there, um, um, I transferred to university, North Dakota State, went and got my master's in, in agricultural economics, applied economics, and my focus was on supply chain and logistics. Because I want to know all the intricacies, what it's take to make food, transport food, and make sure kids never get hungry. I thought that was going to be my path. I didn't realize God had a different plan. I was a very smart student. I was really good at what I did. I was one of the top students in the country. So I was selected as one of the top business the country to come to this conference in San Diego, California. So I flew, I landed in San Diego, Kelly. I said, God, now hold on a second. Why wasn't this one of my options? <laughs> because San Diego is where I belong. All this North Dakota mumbo jumbo, man. It's like, but it was so crazy. This brother that I was from Singapore approached me and he looked at me and said, son, do you want a job? So yes, I want a job. I'd like to fly to Charlotte. So where's Charlotte? So why are you asking me where Charlotte is? So the last time I didn't ask that question, I showed up in North Dakota. I don't want that problem again. <laughs> so, so you flew me to Charlotte. Uh, you know, like it was unbelievable. I, 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 um, I, I, you know, offered me the job in a spot. And, uh, you know, so I told him, I said, I, I, I typically just don't make decisions like that. I, I just, this time I just got married right after my undergrad, I got married to my bride, Tracy. And, uh, so, so we just had a little child at that time. I said, Hey, you know, we pray about everything. <laughs> but I knew my heart, man. You see, when I left Fargo, you know, uh, LA, it was 43 below zero. I learned at Charlotte Douglas Airport, it was 75 degrees. I knew something about to change. I picked up the phone. I called my wife, Tracy. I said, babes, I know you and I pray about a lot of stuff, but this one, we're just going to move. We're going to trust God to work out the details. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't looked back ever since. We uh, moved to Charlotte. Um, you know, technology was booming after my graduate school. Um, our company got acquired. I mean, God was blessing us, and another company acquired us. And I joined another software company. But right before I joined this other company, my father got real sick. I always tell people, like, in life, see, see, God always allow us to make our choices. But seldom will he allow us to pick our consequences. My father's choice is to abuse alcohol and all those other things eventually come up again. Um, he was diagnosed with sources of the liver, and my father was dying. And um, I knew if my father would die, I knew my father was going to hell because he just lived a tough life. He just, he was... Um, I used that situation to rectify, and, and through that process, my father came to a relationship with God, um, you know, asked for forgiveness, do all that stuff. Two weeks after my father had a reconciliation peace with God, he passed away. Uh, so I had a 
traveled to Nigeria to go bury my dad. I flew back to Nigeria, now I've been in America about 10 years. From how poor I really was. I walked into a house. I was so shocked. It was so bad, Kelly. I couldn't even use that bathroom. I had to go across the street to the bath to the to the, to the place to sell water and stuff. And we used the restroom. And so I came out of that restroom and I looked on the horizon of that park and I saw all those kids just like me. They didn't have shoes. They didn't have hope. And that's when I looked at them and I still remember vividly uh, how I felt that they were in a missionary with my first pair of shoes. I said, what if I can start coming to help children just like this? And remind them that they can also dream big dreams and big dreams can also come true. And the reality here, I said, man, I'm going to escape this mess. I'm not leaving American dream. That's for somebody else. I'll just write check and support them. Let me just go to my <laughs> So I went back to America. I talked to my wife about this idea. Maybe one day, maybe we can go back and, and uh, you know, start helping kids. But but really, in my heart, I realized I didn't want to do that because I realized, Kelly, that he was going to cost me something. Um, I put that on the back burner. We sat praying about it, thinking about it, dreaming about it, but I really didn't act on it. Um, fast forward a few years after that, my, um, you know, I joined this other company. I was working in New York, and a buddy of mine started a new company in Charlotte. So I was flying back and forth from Charlotte to New York. Uh, I thought we were going to move down there, and then my wife said, I'm going to move into New York City. Um, you know, and uh, so my buddy that just... Uh, from this new software company, come, come, come run product for us, come run all this stuff for us. And we're about to go venture on this venture capitalist uh, series of funding. Would you help me come be a part of raising some money for this? I said, absolutely. <laughs> Make mama happy when, you know, when mama's happy, everybody's happy. And so I said, hey, I'm coming back home and talk to my wife, accept the job and uh, join this group. And, <laughs> and then we went and raised some significant amount of money as part of this, I think it was series C round of our uh, venture, uh, venture capitalist a fundraising effort. And uh, uh, we were all young guys, Kelly. I mean, we got 27, 28, 30, 31. And the VC in New York looked at us and said, you guys all need adult supervision. You know, I'm about to give you guys millions of dollars, man. <laughs> and, and I think we're going to bring some great here, guys, to just come be around you guys just to make sure you guys are making decisions. You know, so it was pretty cool. Uh, they came and they brought this new guy, Jay, out of VC and his buddy out of... Um, I kind of kept, I came down to be with us in Charlotte. Um, you know, so we were looking at actually acquiring a company in Dallas, Texas. So me and this, my new boss flew down to Dallas uh, to go do due diligence on this company. So we flew to Dallas. It was so unbelievable. We showed up in Dallas. Nothing to do. I said, hey, you know, there's something we can do. Uh, let's go get some tickets so we can go watch Vince Carter go play against the Dallas Mavericks. You know, that's why I'm ready to kind of spend the night. We went down there and, um, you know, so I sat. As I sat in the gymnasium in, the, in, that, in, in that arena, uh, Kelly was crazy. This guy that I didn't know much about, he turned to me. And he said, Manny, if money wasn't an issue, how would you change the world? I'm like, I've been set up. Who's this guy? And so I started sharing this passion. I told him, I said, you know, did you, did you know that over 300 million children in Africa wake up with no shoes on their feet? I'm, I'm doing my spiel. Uh, did you know that the World Health Organization said 1.5 billion people are infected with diseases because they don't have shoes? So the more I said, my vision is I want to be able to put shoes on the feet of children. I've got this to go walk their feet and, and, and use that as a vehicle to inspire them to dream big dreams. I was So the more I talked about it, the passion and excitement, this guy says, stop. So why are you here? And when your boss asks you why you're here, you change the subject pretty quick. You know what I'm saying? So I said, uh, this game better start. I don't want to have this conversation anymore with this guy. And all of a sudden, the buzzer hit. I said, thank you, Jesus. I don't want to talk to this guy anymore. And realize that seed was planted by guys mind that day. 
Fast forward two weeks later, my wife and a group of five ladies decided to go to Greensboro, North Carolina, to this conference with this lady called Joyce Myers. They showed up in, they showed up in Greensboro. There was a lady that rode down with them in the van from Charlotte. This was like 20-some years ago. And, uh, and uh, actually, no. No, that's, this, no, this is 18 years ago. What am I saying? 18 years ago. It was 2003. And, um, you know, you know this lady. And this lady said, Tracy, can I talk to you? She said, absolutely. She said, Tracy. God has called you and your husband to a big vision. But you guys keep putting that in the box. Tracy, who are you? She started sharing some stuff with my bride that we've never told the soul. She said, I see convoy of trucks as you guys are serving young people all across the world, mobilizing young people to bring hope to the world. And then she said, is it okay if I serve you in this way? Tracy said, how? She grabbed a bottle of Deer Park water. She started washing my wife's feet. And my wife was bawling. She said, who are you? And my wife was like, what the heck is going on? And she shared this stuff with my wife. And my wife is about coming for the next two days. She couldn't wait to get home to see me. And I know you've never done anything wrong with your wife. You know what I'm saying? You know when your wife is mad and she's walking in the house? You know you're in the, you're in the dog house. You're in trouble. So she walked in the house. I said, what did I do? I didn't say anything, man. Did you have a good conference? She said, honey, we've been disobedient. God has called us this big vision, but because of our comfort, a lack of wanting to sacrifice, we're not willing to say yes to God. And she showed us stuff to me, and I'm like, who did you just meet? So, so all I can think about, Kelly, is I got to find a way to kind of get my mind, wife's mind off this, because I'm not, I ain't going to do that. So I said, honey, we should go to Charleston. Let's, let's just get away for a weekend. I knew I'm going to do my thing. Let's just go. Let's get away for the weekend. Let's just, you know, I knew if I can get out there, I'll get a mind off all this stuff. We showed up in Charleston that Saturday. And she asked me right before we went out to dinner. She said, honey, what is it going to take for you to leave your job? I said, woman, leave me alone. I mean, I thought we were going to come here on a great weekend. We're going to pray. We're going to try and sick. But man, you know, I got all the responsibilities in Africa. I mean, I'm the head of the family in Africa. I got my mom. I got all my siblings. They're getting married. I got three kids. I'm about to have my four kid. Actually, I just know we just had our four kid. I said, how am I going to? I can't. I said, hey, is it? Hey, if I can save up another six months of income, I know I have enough savings. I know we can live on that for about two years. You know, God is a pretty busy guy. He can forget his African boy in Charlotte. Just in case he forgets me, I want to know I have a plan B. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and like, and... Kelly, I wish I said three years that day. Because on Monday, Monday, I went back to the office. I did my calls with all our salespeople, all our alliance partners across the country. I was going to go to lunch. I stepped into Jay's office. And Jay said, hey, Manny, come in my office. And Jay shut the door. Jay never shuts the door when he talks to me. That's kind of weird. He said, do you remember that conversation we had in Dallas? I said, what conversation? He said, I'm going to cut to the chase. The new president the VC brought wants your job. I said, what's my job? He says, he's got somebody that can take your job. And I know, I know you can go around services. But I heard the passion in your voice. I knew when you were talking to me that this is what you need to do. I think I can help you get it started. I said, what are you talking about? Now I'm getting mad. Now I'm like, what? I'm about to lose my job. What the heck is going on here? He, he gave me the number, Kelly. It was exactly the six months I told my wife. I said, what just happened? And I'm like, now nah, I'm mad. I call that day my Black Monday. 
And I realized that was going to be the best day of my life. I stomped out of his office. I'm mad. He to me. Stomped out. I didn't even go into my office. I picked up the phone. I called my bride, Trace. I said, babes, I think I lost my job today. I just said, what do you mean you think you lost your job? She said, I don't know what's going on, but you remember when I said I needed six months? Well, it just gave me a six-month severance. And she said, she started hearing me crying on the phone. She said, honey, come home. She said, I know you're scared. But when God calls, you're always equipped. So I went home. I bawled me and my wife prayed. And I said, I paid in plans. A couple days later, I started getting calls from potential head honor that want to hire me. And my wife stopped me. She said, honey, if you accept any of those positions, you've been disobedient to God. Said, because you know everything you've asked, he's made away. Now you've got to see yes to him. So thank God I listened to my bride. Uh, we stepped out. We started this organization called Samaritan's Feet. The vision to go put shoes in the feet of 10 million people all over the world. We said, we're just not going to give them shoes. We're going to wash their feet. If they have wounds, we're going to bandage their wounds. We're going to use as a platform to be able to truly activate and inspire hope in their life. Because people don't realize this in most parts of the world. Shoes is a critical part of the requirement for kids to go to school. Without school, many of those kids miss the education window become street merchants just like I was and never be able to realize their dreams. You know, many of them step on broken bottles, corroded metals in the developing world. It becomes a death sentence because they don't have the CVS. They don't have all the medical facilities. Infection set in. It's something that we call a fashion accessory in this country. Their shoes becomes a critical piece of instrument for their transportation that can save the lesser around the world. So we stepped out, and it's crazy now, 2021, this may have been 18 years. We've now served almost 8.4 million people in over 110 countries now. 44 U.S. states, 440 U.S. cities. Um, we became the official charity of the NCAA. We became one of the official charity of a number of NBA, NFL teams, um, you know, uh, leaders of countries would come when they had that war in between the Hutus and Tutsis. It's crazy. Uh, I was invited by the president of Burundi because, uh, uh, you know, you heard about Hotel Rwanda, what happened in Rwanda, the same thing that happened in Burundi. Uh, the, the president said, uh, reconciliation started in my house. He heard what we did in Zimbabwe with our, part of our shoes for national healing, where people that used to kill each other would wash each other's feet, or put shoes on each other and read a peace declaration and said, I will not kill. But every time I look at the shoe, I remember that I made a covenant with God and my fellow man. I will never kill again. And President Pierre, the late President Pierre, who was a pastor away last year, uh, he reached out to us. He said, I want to do this in my country. And it was so crazy. He was the first president to have a work with us to wash the of the poor. And, and, and here, here's a, a place where Hutus and Tutsis used to kill each other. Now we've got Hutus washing the feet of Tutsis and looking at each other saying, because of God, we can live in peace. And we can, we can become, we can build a new, you know, like Burundi. And together, and it was unbelievable. We served over, I mean, close to 400,000 people in that. Can we establish computer learning centers, different types of things? And it's so crazy in the United States. And then, you know, like um, one of the crazy things that happened, it was so unbelievable. So, so a number of years into this, we're like, how are we going to become a national organization? I'm like, 10 million is a lot of shoes. How are we going to get 10 million? I mean, I still remember the first three years, we were like just under by about 100 and some thousand. I'm like, golly, to get to 10 million is going to take forever. Well, I decided to hire a director of marketing. So since marketing coming to this country to me to North Dakota, I've been able to find, find a creative way to use marketing to help me accomplish my goal. So I hired this marketing guy, and it was pretty amazing, and uh, told me that, hey, we need to find a creative way. Somehow, there was a very famous painter. I don't know, you know if you know this guy. His name was Thomas Kincaid. He used to be called the painter of light. 
And somehow these people got a hold of our people. And, um, uh, and the, uh, the NBC folks at the Rockefeller Plaza agreed that he can come paint the, the Christmas tree lighting, but he needed a charity. He couldn't be on TV without doing it. He just can't come promote his art, but he has to have a charity. So somehow my marketing team got connected to his marketing team that said, we're going to be his charity. He said, he's going to give us 10 commission art. He's going to give us $50,000. It was all this deal. I said, sign me up. This is our national launch. We're going to be a national TV. Every one of us learns things. <laughs> Guess what happened? We showed up in New York. It was cold on that day. I mean, this African boy don't do very well with cold. <laughs> and, um, you know, so Thomas has got his little friend Beret is doing his thing. And, and, and all of a sudden we got a call. They said, man, NBC can't have you on. Something just broke in the news. I said, oh, shit, what's going to happen? So we started making calls. Somebody called somebody at Fox News. They said, we can have him. Just have him call. So we got in the Tahoe, put all this easels and stuff in his vehicles. We rushed a bunch of to to uh, to, to uh, Network in New York. We got there. Got all set up. Now, Thomas Kincaid went on national TV. It was supposed to be a big national launch. Samaritan's Feet going international, right on Fox News. Thomas started talking. He talked. He talked. He talked so much, he forgot about us. I'm like, what just happened? I looked at my marketing guy. I looked at him. I said, this just didn't happen. I'm ticked. Right now, I'm not even being spiritual. I'm like, something just crazy. He came to Manny. I got caught up in the moment. So I'm so sorry, but I'll make it up to you. But he passed away a few years ago. And was, you know, but but I didn't realize I wasn't in New York for Thomas Kincaid. I didn't realize I was there for something much, much bigger. Um, somehow I got on the list to come to this crate. Don't no, I I even got on that list today, Kelly. I still don't know. Maya Angelo was been recognized for a lifetime achievement by the Gabaran Foundation out of Spain. And especially been with just a handful of people and somehow I'm on the list. So I'm still mad. I want to go home. My marketing guy said, you can't go and we're going to this event tomorrow because you're a man of your award. You said, you're going to be there. You're going to be there. I said, oh man, you're going to play that car with me? So I showed up there. I walked to that room. Somebody was wheeling Dr. Angelo in and our eyes to my eyes locked eyes. She said, come here. And I walked over to her. So you must be from Nigeria. I said, you must be a psychic. How the heck did you know? He said, I teach. I mean, I'm a professor of Wake Forest for a number of years. I used to go to Liberia every year, and I always stop in Nigeria. You guys have the signature Nigerian smile. Something about that smile. And, uh, and she said, you know, tell me, what's your name? I told her my name, and we started having small talks. She said, Dr. Angel, who's your role model? She said, it was Dr. King. Oh, man, that's my role model. She said, you know, you know what I love about he called Martin. And I'm like, all right, Martin. He's like, he's like you know what I like about Martin? He said, he was so courageous. He said, you remind me a little about him. He said, what do you do, son? He said, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a foot washer. I wash children's feet all over the world. And I used that to inspire them to dream big and I put shoes in them to remind them that, that a Samaritan cared and they want them to be a future Samaritan. He said, man, that's noble. That's unbelievable. He said, man, I want to challenge you to be courageous. Go be the face and the voice of those kids all over the world. It was like my deflated balloon from the night before, the day before from Thomas Kincaid. God sent Dr. Angelo to just blow me up. It was like, I was feeling like I was on top of the world. Now, it's not finished. We went back to our hotel room over there in New York, in New York City. And uh, my, I looked at my director of marketing and said, what is something courageous we can do to become the face and the voice for these kids all over the world? And it's like, I know, with crazy ideas, Kelly. And he said, oh, man, man, I got it. What if you can get Duke to play against Chapel Hill on national TV with no shoes? 
I said, you must be smoking some crazy because someone's going to get hurt. We're going to get sued. That's the end of our career. We're done. And they said, what if we can get a Division One basketball coach to help us coach a game on national TV with new issues? I said, that's a bad idea. I said, who's going to do it? I said, Mike Krzyzewski, nah. Roy Williams, nah. We, we want those big names. He said, no, no, there's a guy. I met him because I was helping Coach Dungey in Indianapolis. His name is Ron Hunter. He's a head basketball coach at the IUPUI. I said, come on, man. IUPUI, that's like an alphabet suit. Who knows a school? Like, we need a big name that can help us do this. <laughs> he, said, he said, they have 30,000 students. I said, that's a big school. He said, let's call them. Kelly was 10.30 at night. We thought we were calling. We thought we were, we were calling his cell phone. We called his landline at home. One thing I learned, you don't call a basketball coach at 11 o'clock at night. They're thinking two things happened. My player's been arrested or somebody just died. So he didn't want to pick up that phone. The phone rang and rang. He finally picked it up. He said, who is this? He said, this is Manny and Ty. He said, what do you want? So we had to kind of let him know how we got to know him. He said, well, I'm with my uh, Todd. I'm with my, my boss. You know, We just had a meeting today with Dr. Angelo, and she challenged us to be courageous and, and said, we're looking for a Division One basketball coach to help us coach a game on national TV with no shoes. And the phone went dead silent. And nine seconds later, it felt like an hour. He came back on his phone. He said, where are you guys? He said, we're in New York. He said, are you drunk? <laughs> I said, no, we're not drunk. He said, you want me to do what? I want you to help us coach a game on national TV to be the face for shoeless kids worldwide. He said, you will have, you have balls, man. He said, you call me at 11 o'clock at night for me to come coach a game on national TV for you. I don't even know you. He said, but I got to give this to you. I want to meet you. So he told me to come down to Indianapolis. We flew down there a few days later. And you won't believe this, Kelly. Right behind him was the biggest picture poster of Dr. King I've ever seen. My brother was set up. I said, you know who that guy is? He said, I bought the picture. I know where he is. Cut to the chase. What do you want me to do? I said, you know what next year is? I said, 2008 is the 40th anniversary of that man's death. Would you help me not just coach a game on national TV, but help me raise 40,000 shoes in honor of his 40 years? He said, man, you got balls. He said, I think I'll invite you here. I like you. <laughs> you know, I thought, you know, I like you. You come in here. I'll maybe help you raise 500, 2,000, 1,000 shoes. But 40,000 shoes? I said, coach, with all due respect. I said, for 2,000, you don't need a God. For 40,000, you're going to need a God that's bigger than you. He said, man, you're really balls, man. I said, that's all I'm asking you to say is yes. And what's for you to do with your obedience? He said, okay, I'll do this. I can't promise I'm going to raise 40,000. I'm not asking you to promise anything. All God needs is your obedience and your yes. And what for you do? Fast forward January 24th, 2008. Game time that day, we raised 220,000 pairs of shoes. ABC News made him person of the week. By the end of the year, no, we we raised 120,000 that morning. By the end of the year, we raised 220,000 shoes. They made him person of the year. So NCAA invited me to take, to come present Coach Hunter and award the Final Four in San Antonio because, man, this is, he became, I mean, he became known as the barefoot coach every media fall. Remember when I was in New York? I was, I was getting ticked <laughs> off about Thomas Kincaid. <laughs> 437 media outlet worldwide ran the story. And I thought I was mad because I went to New York. I didn't realize I was there for something far much bigger. So I went to, I went to San Antonio. It was crazy. We got there. 
And, uh, you know, uh, I met this guy called Ernie Johnson on MB on TNT. He was the host of the show. And he said, Manny, I remember this stuff on TV, everybody calling in, making donations and doing all that kind of stuff. He said, what can I do for you? I said, you Ernie Johnson, you can do whatever you want. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I said, he said, but, you know, I, I don't know. Let me, let me, let me check. I'm, I'm going to talk to some folks at Turner. I'll get back to you and see what we can do. So we, we got connected. We presented that award to Coach Hunter. Seven days later, Ernie Johnson called me. You could have thought Ernie Johnson won a lottery. He said, you won't believe this. I just talked to President Turner. They want me to have you on Mother's Day on MB on TNT. He said, they want me, Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, all of us to go barefoot. And they said, can you be there? I said, whatever's on my schedule just got bumped. I'll be there on that day. You know, don't worry about that. <laughs> I showed up in, in Atlanta and I started speaking. I thought it was going to be for two minutes. You wouldn't believe this. It was over seven and a half minutes on primetime national TV, sharing my story, sharing my vision. And one of Kenny Smith's friends heard what I was speaking about and he said, he couldn't believe that I was this passionate about kids and have shoes around the world. And he reached out to me and said, Manny, what if I can tell you that I can help you get a million shoes? I said, don't tease me. He said, don't tease me now. He said, I think I can get you a million shoes. I didn't realize at that time, he just teamed up with Al Arrington and Steven Jackson with the NBA. They just launched a shoe line called Protege Shoes. And, and because of the mistake that um, uh, Stephen Marbury did with the Starberries, because he wanted affordable shoes, but he put it at Starbucks and Case in the inner city, couldn't get it. They said, we're going to sell exclusively through Kmart. And Sears just bought Kmart. And you won't believe this. They were looking for something to be able to have the biggest give as a way to launch the shoe. And that day that I was speaking on MB on TNT, he said, that's the charity. End up giving us 1.3 million pairs of shoes, $34 million. You remember that lady at that conference with my wife? She said she saw a convoy of trucks. It was 442 truckloads of shoes. Children all over the world that we were serving. It was crazy. And after we did that, in 2008, that's when I decided to walk barefoot from Charlottesville, Atlanta, when I met my friend, Damien Horn. And then the head of Crux Social Responsibility worked with me for about five days, and she looked at me one day. The second day I sat and she said, said, man, you must be really crazy, or you believe it. You're walking barefoot from here to Atlanta in the heat. (laughs) And she said, man, and and you got to realize, every night a podiatrist would see me, and I lost three of my toenails. And, and my feet was getting messed up and chewed up. And said, you need to stop this. I said, I get to do this for two weeks. But over 1.5 billion people in the world have diseases that can be cured because they have no shoes. And so I went through that. Scratch ended up donating about a million pairs of shoes to us. And I, it, was, it was unbelievable. And then, and then we teamed up with Sketchers there and were giving us a couple million pairs of shoes, Nike, all those other companies. And all of a sudden, a few years back, we said, just like Dr. King, I had a dream too. My dream is that one day we'll live in a world with zero shoeless children. I'll be able to, I'll also be able to have a shoe that actually has an active antimicrobial, some type of nano silver that can repel parasites and bacteria. And, 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 and also maybe one day it can actually be biodegradable so I can be an environmental nuisance. You wouldn't believe this. One of my partners was Walmart. And uh, I went to speak to them at Walmart and I shared my vision. And I said, man, I'd love to be able to invent the world shoe made in America. He said, I think I can help you do that. A manufacturer actually makes all our shoes that we sell at Walmart. You know, second connected to them. They connected me to them. I went and met with them. They said, hey, we can do this. And I told them about this vision. I said, hey, I just don't want this shoe to be, I'd be on time, I'd 
to prevent diseases, but I want to be biodegradable. Oh, no, no, I you know, this. Two years ago, we just did this work with Brooks, and they were doing something with the insole. They never, they ended up not doing the project. I said, are you kidding me? He said, yeah, we ended up putting it together. We started making our world shoe, made in Hazelhurst, Georgia. You know, for a kid, that didn't have shoes. They now manufacture his own shoes. And after we made it, a major natural disaster happened in Houston, and, and we found out that people were in all these shelters with diseases. We said, well, let's just go offer to give them some of our worship because we know it can prevent bacteria. The Red Cross went nuts. So, we give them to them. I mean, it was unbelievable. All of a sudden, I thought, this was going to be huge in the developing world. I didn't realize there was an application for it right here at home. So, so we started serving kids in Title I schools, not just with our worship, with tennis shoes. And, and now we serve, by next year, we serve almost 10 million kids. Now we're asking ourselves, can we truly lead a movement to create a world with zero shoeless children? While we're thinking about all that stuff, last year, COVID hit. Just to shut us down. And, and I got to think about it. We, we run an organization where we wash people's feet. We got to be able to touch people, see with people. We entitled to, we in YMCA, Boys and Girls Clubs. We in all those places, closed places. The health department said, we can't come in, we want to shut us down. So we innovated. We came up with a new way to serve. We came up with this idea. What if we can create a way where people can come to our site and write messages of hope? We call them hope notes. We print them. We came up with this idea called this hope tote. We're going to put our shoes in there. We're going to put our socks in there. Put our hygiene kit in there. Put this hope notes in there. Put a message. How can children be kind to each other? How can people be, be, be well, stay from, from infecting diseases and all that stuff? Went up. I mean, we started setting up drive through distribution. I mean, world that We still end up serving about 724,000 people last year. This year, we're on track to serve about 1.1 million people. And then all of a sudden, we learned we had this, I mean, this unbelievable idea. Let's start putting shoe lockers at Title I schools across America. You know, somebody can sponsor for $5,000. I can put a, a shoe locker with Samaritans with a branded of the sponsor's name on there. And kids that's coming, I mean, you'd be shocked some of the things we see. The boys come to school wearing girl shoes. Some boys and girls wearing shoes two, three, four sizes too small. Holes in them. In, I'm not talking about Haiti or Nigeria or somewhere like in India. I'm talking about United States of America. From Kentucky to Charlotte, from West Virginia to Tennessee, I'm talking about all across the United. We serve people in 44 U.S. states. I said, poverty only exists in the overseas, not here in America. But now we're serving thousands of people. We started serving some veteran people. We launched a senior shoe. We're now making a shoe, fall resistance shoe, just for for seniors, so that we can work. And I mean, just amazing what God has done. I'm seeing all this because I don't know who's listening to this. Because I always tell people. A service to others emancipates humanity from the dungeon of themselves. If you want to set yourself free, start serving people. And make sure your vision is big enough to be able to include other people. I promise you, you'll be able to accomplish some unbelievable things. But think about a kid that grew up in Nigeria with no shoes. So then now on the cost of serving 10 million kids. Now I run a shoe company, a charity, a leadership institute that has been taught in universities. And, and, and friends with, I mean, I was at the UN just a few years ago. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop in the lesson because that's just unbelievable. I turned to my wife. I said, pinch me. I said, why do you, you say pinch me? I said, I don't belong here. I'm just a street merchant. I sell Coca-Cola and water to poor people. She turned to me. And she said, you forgot what kingdom you found. She said, do you realize that you were created for something much bigger? You know, you thought poverty that was your man, that's where the story was going to end. And realize that God was going to use my misery and turn it one day into one of the biggest global ministry. 
to impact people all across the world. So if you're watching today, maybe you've gone through some pain or some struggles in your life, man. You may be that exact thing that will be used to become a way to bring hope and comfort and change and transform life. Now, I know some people are watching, how can I help? How can I? And now corporations from GM to Coca-Cola to, to Truist, all, now, they're now our partners. I mean, they're using us as a calling card to connect with people in their community. But kids didn't have shoes. I mean, it's just crazy. I was a Coca-Cola sales guy, but now I'm helping to put shoes because of them to kids all over the world. So, so how can we team up? How can you be part of our social society? How can you help sponsor lockers? How can you go with us internationally? How can you do concerts? How can you do things? So together we can create a world with zero shoeless children. That's my burden. That's my passion. That's my story. I'm sticking to it, Tim, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want, Manny, I want to rewind a little bit because, okay, two things. First of all, when you go to the family's house in North Dakota, right? You go to the family family's house. This is a white family, right? Are they mm-hmm. how tall? How tall are they? Well, they were not very tall at okay. that time. They were they were, they were shorter. What, what uh, would you, you say? Know. What would you say? Would you say five I mean, one, five about two, five eight, five about, about five seven, five eight was the was the mom and dad, and then the kids were. I mean, they were like uh, you know eight years old and six year old and four year olds. They were tiny. So. When you get to the house and they're and you're putting your stuffing sandwich, you're doing <laughs> you're do, you're doing your stuffing sandwich. Do you flip out that they don't leave the house with a bucket and bring back water? That they bring you a cup of water? Did you did you think in your mind? Did you think in your mind like I gotta grab this bucket and I gotta go out and walk down the road and go get some water? What's going through your mind? I, I put my I put my cup. On the fridge and water came out. I said, oh, my God, what's going on in this place? (laughs) And it was cold. I'm like, holy smokes, this is special, man. This is unbelievable. But it was was so different, right? But they were so loving. They were some of the most loving people. I mean, I'm telling you, man, you know, I know we live in such a time right now there that the enemy will like us to think that we're not brothers blocking against white Hispanics. There's still a lot of love. There's still a lot of hope in this country. Those people didn't know me. I was as black as could be. I was an African. I was a stereotypical guy. But they were like the good Samaritan to stop. I saw somebody that was in pain and needed help. And, and just like that good Samaritan, you know, invested a little bit of money, took him to a hotel and fed him and took care of all the innkeeper. Man, whatever it is that you spend them, when I, when I come back, I'm good for it. I'll take care of it. I think that's the future that I'm hoping that we'd be able to cultivate and create. Uh, we can develop. That's why our leadership institute is actually going to call Samaritan Leadership Institute to teach people how to lead through the lens of being a good Samaritan. That's, that's just, they were the Samaritans to me. And now I'm trying to be Samaritan to work on other Samaritans to help change. So Manny, another, another thing that I, uh, that I heard you say when you talked about talk, bringing on a PR person, you went through the Thomas Kincaid uh, scenario. Um, in today's world where it's obviously digital marketing, everyone says you got to have the marketing, you got the PR. You learn probably one of the most valuable lessons that with all the PR in the world and all the marketing in the world, God has a better plan. Can you, can you talk to, uh, talk to us about that part of it? Because so many people rely on the systems that they build, but don't rely on the person who brought it in the first place. Man, you know, you know, there's a designer that actually created you. Uh, he, he has, you know, you were necessary. That's why I created you. So if you ever question why you're here, 
realized there was an assignment that's been preordained for you. Um, I didn't realize that, that I'll be used one day to become a conduit to put shoes on people's feet. I'll be at the UN and presidential of the world. I never thought I'll be uh, by the corporate office of General Motors and have this the top C-suite washing the feet of homeless people that over there, Dearborn, Michigan, and 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 and, and people that's been working there for thirty years say, but God can do that what we can. See, you know, I, I can tell you this. Friend of mine told me something a long time ago. He said, "Our future is God's history," and it's it's unbelievable. And and and, and it's so it's so powerful because I'm gonna tell you why that's so important. See, in 2004. You know, after we launched Samaritan's Feed, they did this amazing article about us. AP ran it and ran crazy. And 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 then we're gonna do this walkathon because you know we 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 put in shoes so we should do barefoot walk, right? So Samaritan Mile, we're gonna do a Samaritan Mile. So we're doing it across the place. And so so we invited some people to this stuff to come talk about what we got to do. It was unbelievable. And so we invited some community leaders to come say, "How can you help us be a part of this?" This is a lady that came to this event. Um, I didn't even know him. Somebody invited her to come. My name was Dee Dee Stat. Um, she never heard me. She heard me share my story. She was so moved. So I got to find with about this guy. The events are what happened right before Easter. Because what the question you ask, Kelly, is so powerful because God ordains everything. Right. So, so now, fast forward on Sunday, Easter Sunday came. This church that this lady attends, they always take a special offering on Sunday. And they always find three charities to split that offering into. It's a special stuff from that charity. On that day, after David Stephen came to my office to our Planning meeting before I walk. The church had two charities in mind. And they took the offer, they were splitting, they were looking for a third charity. Somehow, Diddy Stephan walked in their room and mentioned Samaritan's Feet, and nobody ever checked fact and just wrote us a check and sent it to us. Now, fast forward, I'm saying this because he's going to encourage somebody to listen to you right now. Um, so, if you wish to go by, um, and, and I'm coming from church because I'm a, I'm a believer and, and, um, and I'm going to my mailbox. I said, God, you got to show up to me because some bills is coming to you. And your reputation is on the line. I said, I said yes to you. Because you got to realize because we've gone through some stuff. I mean, I didn't get a chance to get into it. If you actually read my book, Soul Purpose, you know, if you get a chance to read it, um, you know, like, tell more about the story. You can go to manualhome.com and get that. But it's so crazy. I said in that story, I said, um, you know, you know, I said yes, got a series of things happened. I mean, it was so crazy. God was teaching me to kind of humble me. But, but, but the thing that broke my back, right, one day my wife was going to the grocery store to actually go to buy groceries, and it was so crazy. Um, and, and it was, you know, the total bill was $14 and 20-something cents. And this time we ran out of money. What we thought was going to last us for two years, six months, we had – we had two near-death accidents that totaled our cars. We had our insurance and my brothers, our pennies was rupturing and everything. I mean, the bill was $12 each. If $14 and 20 something, my girlfriend had $12 and something. She called me on the phone and said, what are you doing to me? I felt like a little colonel. And, and, and me and that God had a conversation that day. And, 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 and who really rescued me that? It was a guy actually by the name of Tony Evans who was speaking on the radio and he said, something got lost a lot of rock bottom. It reminded me that day, who was the rock and, and, and then and I, and then so when I was coming from church that Wednesday day, and I was going to the mailbox, 
and the guy's mailbox was so crazy, Kelly. I, I, I was walking back and forth. I didn't want to go. And I thank God it's not in 2020 because I probably would have been arrested and shot because it was this big black guy going back and forth walking in the post. <laughs> I didn't want to go in there. And, and, and this lady walked by and said, what is this guy doing? But, but I was so afraid to go open the mailbox because I didn't want to be disobedient. I didn't want to be disappointed. So I finally opened the mailbox. And there was two envelopes in there. One of them I knew exactly what it was. It was a bill. I know where you are. I'm not looking at you. The other one was from, I didn't know who this was. I opened it up. And, and it was it was exactly the amount of money that we needed that month. And it was so crazy. I was like, so later, I called Trace and said, I showed up for about a month. Two days later on, we set up a meeting. It was a church in Charlotte uh, to give us this check. So it was ironic. So I set up a meeting with a, the guy who runs missions in our church to just go pitch to maybe they can take us on as a charity. This is the best part of this story. So I got up, I set up my pre- projector, did a presentation. I finished speaking. This guy, uh, uh, Steve, he came on and he said, oh, man, great presentation, but we just don't support people like this. We have a process. So what's the process? The champions got to come in. They got to blah, blah, blah. I said, no, 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 don't worry. You guys already sent us a check. I said, no, no, we don't do that. No, no you guys already sent us a check. I mean, I, he said, we don't do this. I said, so I'm trying to hang you with this guy. And I paused. The church didn't even know they sent us a check. So, and I knew Didi, my friend, goes to this church, right? So a few days later, I ran into Didi. I said, something weird happened, but I just hope maybe you can be my champion because Steve said, I got to have a champion to kind of put the church or a charity. And she said, holy crap. So, Steve didn't know we gave you the check, said no. That's when that phrase I used that our future was God's history became reality. God knew I was going to challenge his reputation that day that I walked to that mailbox. Way ahead of time. And, and, and he used a lady that I didn't even know to do a miracle that was not even possible. To let a church never circumvent their process to do something because he knew his reputation was on the line. He had come true. And I walked in there and she said, I just walked in that room. I just mentioned the name of Samaritan Street and no one person asked me a question because his name had to be glorified. So you can have the best business plan in the world, but when God is in it, Kelly, you can do it. Exceedingly abundantly above what you can ever dream imagine. Manny, I mean, it blows my mind. I mean, it's it's incredible because you embody, um, you embody, and you've gone down the trails of what you know what most people learn in books. Like you know, if you're reading about a relationship with the Lord, um, people are reading about this, but the, you're you're living it. Mm-hmm. You meet Ernie. Um, millions of shoes are given to you. You've served 8 million. You're putting shoes on feet of people. You're washing their feet. You're helping these people. You're flying in these crazy, I mean, it's, it's incredible. This little kid from Africa that didn't have shoes gets the opportunity to be able to put shoes on over 8 million and it's going to multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply. How is it that you stay in the place where you're listening to God as opposed to saying that Manny can do it in your heart because when you get to the levels that you're getting to, you've already seen a lot of things that happen. And what I've noticed in times is people get to that point and they're like, all right, God, I got this one. How do you stay? How do you stay Manny with that smile that you're doing right now, Manny? How do you stay with that smile? 
<laughs> you know, you wake up every single morning. Thank God, you know, I, I said this. There's two most important decisions you've got to make. First decision is to ensure who is the captain of the sheep. And, and the captain for me is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I know he's my hope. He's my redeemer. He's my anchor. Um, and, and I go through every single morning and say, I don't know what to do. Just like Jehoshaphat, my eyes are on me. I get on my knees. Uh, I, I draw my strength and my inspiration from him because I know I'm nobody except true. Uh, secondly, uh, um, if you listen to me, the second most important decision you're going to make is who you're going to marry. Um, you know, my bride uh, is the best thing that ever happened. You got this beautiful blonde here. Green blue eye, turk. I mean, just she's gorgeous. I still think she has cataract because I don't know how she can look at me every single day. That my sister was out from her eyesight. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but it was, but, but for 31 years, she's been wrong. 28 married to me. And, and we planned, we worked together, we built this together. We have affiliates in seven, eight other countries around the world from Canada to the Philippines, to, to Hong Kong, to Nigeria, South Africa, Brazil, I mean, name it. And, and, and these are people running Samaritan Street there because she's my partner. We dream, we pray together, we, we dream together, we encourage each other. And then there's sometimes we have bad days, don't get me wrong. I mean, when you work with your wife, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> she's going to tell you, just like you. I, I still remember coming back from that UN and she told me to go pick up, take the garbage. I, I was just talking to the president of some country. <laughs> you take the garbage out. You know, you know what I'm but, but that's, you got to stay humble. And to remember that you can do nothing out of your own strength. Except by me. You can try. Don't get me wrong. God's given us ability. God-like feature. That's something we can think we in control. But honestly, we're not really in control. I mean, we just went through, we're in the process of returning to almost 19-acre property right now. And there's a few great quarters of like 80,000 square foot that I'm willing to close and coming up here actually in the next four weeks. That will be our future headquarters right here in Charlotte with a museum that we're going to be able to have, you know, so people can come and and, and, and just, you know, leadership institute would be there. But, but, but you know, it's, it, you know, you've got to dream so big, so big, right? But only God, only God can make them a reality. I want, I want people that you listen to me say, say, make sure your dream is big enough for, for God to come true and, 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 and big enough for other people to be able to say, man, I can join them because you've got to leave room for others to join you because that's how we can accomplish what we do. We can't do it ourselves. We've engaged over 200,000 volunteers around the world, over 15,000 new volunteers every year, except for during the COVID year. It's amazing what you can do when your vision is big enough and people can join you. When your vision is big enough, and when, the, when the results and the outcomes come, he gets all the glory. We used to see this song in Africa. Almighty God, that is your name. He will never share his glory with anyone. That's the God we serve. And, 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 and I learned that a long time ago. And whenever we sing that song, we start getting down the African side. We start dancing because we know who he is. Because he is the one. And, and that's the power and that's the beauty of the God I serve. He rescued me to be a rescuer. He sent the Samaritan to my life so I can become a Samaritan to somebody else. And my country in this day and age needs the Samaritan leadership model to live like a Samaritan, to reach across cross cultural line, show love to people that don't look like them, act like them, or be like them. 
that he can love in such a way that you expect nothing in return because he gets all the glory because to him much is given, much is required. So, Manny, I mean, you've done, you've, you've been a part. When I say you've done, well, let's, let's keep it straight, right? You've been a part because we know who did it. That's right. You call, you call someone on their landline at midnight, told them to take their <laughs> shoes off and play a basketball game. Okay. You walked into a room where that you didn't want to go to. And my Angelo picked you out. These are miracles upon miracles, upon miracles, upon miracles. And now, I mean, I'm sure like if anybody meets you, anybody that heard you today knows that literally if you said like, oh, I have a vision of, uh, <laughs> I don't know, putting a shoe on the moon. Someone would be like, Manny, I've got a spaceship. Uh, let me stop by real quick. I'm going to pick up a shoe and take you. And I'm not only going to do that, but I'm going to name the moon after Manny and put a flag on it. Okay. <laughs> when, when, when you're living in that place and you're living in these miracles, tell us that thing that God has not answered yet that you are wrestling with him right now. Mm. Man, that's a very good question. Um, you know, I'm praying um, uh, that God will um, that God will give us the right strategic shoe partner, um, um, the right ambassadors, uh, musicians or artists or whatever they are, the right business leaders, um, because we're going to accomplish our initial goal to get to a million. I mean. I thought that was unaccomplishable by myself years ago. My friends actually thought I was crazy. I left the software technology business. They thought I was coming back, right? It's just, they just didn't ever think any of this would ever come to fruition. They just, it's, it's, like, it's like something and maybe it'll come back. Um, when I said goodnight, I've seen God do unbelievable things. Um, I truly believe that, um, you know, if I don't care who gets credit, uh, we truly need a global movement. Uh, to count to zero, shoeless people in the world. Uh, you know, there's 1.5 billion people in the world that are in these different actually shoes. We have the technology. We do. We have the technology to solve this problem. We show up in nights to have the right shoe company to manage. I'm going to create the world shoe on that brand. I'm going to have the right artists. I'm going to have the right corporation. I'm going to have the right spokespeople, the athletes. Advocate for this, so this to be the standard to have a very shoelessness in the world. See, see I actually believe when I watch, I'm only 15, March 11, and I'm gonna look back and put this set, you know what I'm saying? You know, like, you know but, 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 but I tell you what, um, I would love to be able to see my lifetime. You know, we used to sing this song when I was growing up in this gospel, gospel church, you know, I got shoes, you got shoes, I got shoes, got shoes. When I get to heaven, I'm gonna put on my shoes. Uh, but all, not all God's children's got shoes here. But man, I sure you know, we can make it a reality. That's one problem we can solve. Yes, there's hunger, there's issues for water, there's issues for peace. There's, man, this can become a, I mean, this can become the most elementary thing that we can solve. That kids don't have to die because they have no shoes. I mean, in, in Ethiopia, they have this condition called odocomiosis. It's a non-filarial type of infantiasis. 
I mean, because they have no shoes, Kelly, they step in this silica and it eats away at the sole of their feet. It attacks their nerve. Their feet blows up to be two, four size and normal size. We uh, smell them, look like they got leprosy. They can't work. They get to go to school. Five million people in Ethiopia have this condition. Over one million of them children. And the cure for it is shoes. In, in Uganda, I mean, they have these jiggers in Colombia, Uganda, Nigeria, Cameroon, all across the world. You know, the parasites that borrows through the soil, the transport, you have a laceration, an open cut, some kind of sore on your feet, it comes in, transport through your blood, and you look at the skin, it looks like you have leprosy. Nobody want to be around you. Tell it a cure for its shoes. We can, we can solve this problem. We can make the shoes. We just need partners that can help us do this. That's my dream. You know, that one day there'll be zero children in the world that has these shoes. Well, Manny, I, I believe that every single person uh, that even is in earshot of this believes that to be true. I mean, mm-hmm. hearing your voice, hearing your passion, hear, hearing your heart, but I, I love it because uh, there's a, a story that you know, King Aradagrippa, and King mm-hmm. Aradagrippa was a very great king, and he walked out on the balcony, and people started shouting, that's not the, man, uh, the voice of a man, that's the voice of a god, and God said, mm-hmm. struck him dead mm-hmm. right then. Struck him dead right then, and not only mm-hmm. that, but the guy showed me that he 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 struck him dead, and then he had and he says it in graphic in the in the word that he had his body eaten from the inside out with maggots, mm-hmm. and that was just from hearing something and thinking that it sounded kind of good. He didn't even say anything. Mm-hmm. And what I what I love about you know now, there's so many things to love about you, Manny. I just want to hang out with you all the time. I mean, oh, thank you. <laughs> but I'm, I'm but, forward to it. But I'm probably not going to hang out with you because of that shirt. Because with that <laughs> with that shirt, I'm gonna, I'm going to look like I have no game at all, none. I mean, you're healing the world, and you're wearing that shirt, and you got that smile. <laughs> This is just not a good, it's not a good look for me. I mean, Manny, I got a brown, I, I said it the other day, I got a brown tooth. I got one brown tooth. My, my wife keeps telling me, she's like, it's get, getting more brown and brown. And so I, I mean, we'll probably hang out, but not that much. <laughs> <Do we, laughs> Manny, Manny uh, talk to your wife right now. And I know you love her. I know you tell her you love her. I know you lift her up when you talk about her, you sparkle uh, about it. Um, Tell her something that she doesn't hear enough from Manny. Hmm. The babes, um, um, who I am today. Oh, gosh. Oh. The man I am today because of you. Um, you saw in me work and see myself. Um, you believed in me when nobody even had a hand of faith to trust them and to do anything or become anybody. Um, you know, you're my, my best friend, um, my greatest encourager, greatest champion, my greatest champion. Um, and um, my life has been changed because of you. Um, uh, you were the picture of the ideal life that I believe many men would dream to have. And I'm so honored uh, I get the chance uh, to wake up each morning with you next to me. Uh, my bride and my friend. Uh, thanks for loving me the way you do. I keep blessing you and give you a long life. And then we'll put together until God comes back for us. Manny, I started the whole podcast. I mean, it. 
I started the podcast for uh, when I when I've said this, I've said iconic people, but I realized today. I, I mean, I've got to do uh, over a hundred episodes, and what I realized today is I made the the podcast for for a person like you, because I told my kids that I was going to do this to grab iconic people all over the world and show my kids that iconic people like yourself that are superheroes right now. I mean, Ernie is my favorite. That's my favorite show on all of TV. I don't watch sitcoms. I don't watch any of those things. I watch inside the NBA. I wait. If during my birthday time, this is my show. Manny, you are on my show. You're all over the world. The shoes, it, it resonates, all these things. But what I want my kids to realize is that Manny's not a superhero. Manny is a human being. He's a little kid from Africa that has Jesus in their heart, that has a phenomenal attitude, and that has crazy, crazy, crazy work ethic and is willing to uh, sleep in a boiler room at 85 degrees when he could have a regular-ass bed in North Dakota. <laughs> and I wanted, them to, I wanted them to see that you're a real person with a phenomenal attitude. You're not a superhero. You don't have different stuff running through your veins. And it would give them the ability to see people like you and realize that anything that they set their mind to and that they were purposed to do is possible. Amen. 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 So my kids are named Maddox and McKenna. Maddox is nine years old. McKenna's 12 years old. Maddox wow. is a little Maddox is a little superhero running around doing everything, wearing his pants, um, draws on the outside of his pants, uh, dressing the way that he wants to, doing anything he wants to, and he is a lover of shoes. That's awesome. My daughter is an artist, is, has the heart of, I mean, uh, the whole world. I mean, she just loves on everything. Mm. If you could use their names, Manny, Maddox and McKenna, what advice would you give to Maddox and McKenna? You know, Maddox and McKenna um, love God above all, serve humanity, and learn, learn early give your life away because when you give it away to people you truly find it and when you find it and you look back you see a trade of people and that is use your obedience to become the change that they'll like to see so keep serving people keep loving people above all serve God Manny you are I mean now I now I want to tell all the listeners too. I've been chasing Manny because when I emailed oh, Manny at first, when I and I know why now because you're running around the world with a UN, you know, with Ernie, with uh, you know, doing eight million shoes. But I was like, man, I'm trying to get Manny. I'm trying to get Manny, and I I just kept on. And I tell you, it, it was perseverance, and it has been over and above. I have, I mean, Damien Horn, shout out to him. He speaks volumes of you, but he doesn't speak enough about you. I mean, there's very few times where you meet someone and they're greater than what you heard about them. And you, you, Manny, I mean, you have blown me away. Uh, Everyone out there listening, we want to thank you for listening. This is the time that you click the links, uh, the uh, the sponsors, you do all those things. You know what you need to do. But Mm -hmm. honestly, Manny, you're the star of the show. You have been absolutely phenomenal um and i want to ask you before you before we go i want to ask you for a second uh uh interview i want to ask you for a second episode and i want to i think you're in charlotte you're in charlotte am i correct yes i am i'm gonna fly to charlotte because i want to do this in person 
and I'm going to bring this and I want one of those shirts. Oh, you got it. Oh, you got it. We got it. We got to tune it. We got to But I, I, I seriously, I want to thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your heart, man, and just being the man that you are. You are an example to all of us. And thank you for all making us feel bad about our lives because uh, we, you know, I, I recycled some cans yesterday and then I was like, yes, I am in. I have done the Lord's work. And you were like, well, I gave 8 million shoes. Well, well, that's why, that's why I'm going to recycle some more cans today. Uh, I, I will do that, Manny. I love you. Uh, you're amazing. Everyone out there, guys, SamaritansFeet.com. Um, you need to check him out. Uh, Soul Purpose, his book, um, anything with Manny, you need to check out. And Manny, you have been absolutely phenomenal. And uh, I, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Um, thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. God bless you and look forward to doing great things together for the world. <laughs> you are officially off the hot seat. 